Good morning. Man, um, hope you had a, a meaningful Thanksgiving weekend. Um, man, it was fantastic for us. I got to hang out with um, a lot of my family members that I don't get to see often. And um, then, of course, we got to uh, celebrate by overeating. And uh, so, man, it's, um, it was everything I could possibly have wanted um, in a holiday weekend. Hopefully, it was meaningful uh, for you. It's good to see you all uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Kondo. If I don't know any of you. I serve as one of the pastors um, here at Mission Point. And um, before we get into what we want to spend most of our time together doing, I just want to give you a couple of family updates, um, if you will. So uh, a couple of quick things. Number one, um, we are wrapping up our trimester season in our children's ministry um, department, which means we are starting the process um, of inviting folks to get plugged in um, to serve for the next trimester, which begins um, the second weekend in January. And um, Man, I can't tell you how grateful we are for those of you who serve our kids. In fact, some of you are sitting here um, in this service, and in the next service, you're going to be heading over uh, to serve in our kids' ministry. Um, Our kids' ministry runs on volunteers. Uh, The generation that is coming behind us is being poured into by folks like you. And uh, so... Next trimester is starting in January, but sign-ups start today. So after the service, please feel free uh, to head on out into the lobby area um, and sign up. Start signing up for that. Um, And by the way, thank you to the rest of you who volunteer here at Mission Point. There's so many of you who make this ministry run. We couldn't do it without you. And I know you don't hear thank you enough. So to all of our volunteers, those of you who helped us park, and those of you who greeted us, and those of you who handed us a card, and and those of you who are going to serve in different areas of the building, um, those of you who serve as small group leaders throughout the week, those of you who serve with our student ministries, it's just a bunch of you. And I just want to say thank you. Um, again. Um, This morning, we are wrapping up a series that we um, have called Rebuildable. Um, Next week, we're starting a new series uh, that we're calling I Object, because not everybody is thrilled that Christmas season is upon us. Um, The most wonderful time of the year is not necessarily the most wonderful time of the year for everybody. Uh, For some of us, it conjures up painful things. Uh, For some of us, we just can't figure out how the church can believe the fairy tales about virgins getting pregnant and and God becoming a little baby coming into our world to save us from our sins. And yet we are convinced it is the most hopeful time of the year, regardless of what your story has been, regardless of what thoughts you might have that make it difficult. So we want to spend some time looking at why... Regardless of who you are and regardless of what your experience is, should you receive the Christmas season with hope, um, with joy, and with confidence? This week, again, we're concluding um, our series called Rebuildable. And um, Rebuildable has been a journey uh, looking at some of the truths from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And at the heart of this series is the idea that there is nothing so broken in us, there's nothing so broken in the world around us that God cannot rebuild and restore it. But as we've been saying, one of God's favorite ways to rebuild what's broken around us is through 
us, and we saw that through the story of God's people who were led by a man named Nehemiah on a project to rebuild the broken walls around the city, city of Jerusalem, walls that had been broken for over 150 years. Um, and Nehemiah leads this project, and God uses him and his people to rebuild the broken walls. And of course, the broken walls were significant because the broken walls meant a broken defense system. Uh, the people of Jerusalem were living vulnerable and exposed to being attacked, uh, to being abducted and carried off by enemy nations at any time. And obviously, Nehemiah is heartbroken over that. And he plays a part in rebuilding these walls. And they pull off this project in 52 days. Pretty stunning um, effort for a relatively small group of people. What had not been done in over a century and a half happened in about seven weeks. Again, 40 feet high, 8 feet wide, and two and a half miles around the wall was rebuilt. The defense system in Jerusalem was restored. And I imagine on the first night after the rebuild is complete, sleep just probably came a little bit easier to the people of the city. Now, it may just be me, but aren't you curious to know? Because I know I am. What did the people do next? I mean, this whole book and this whole project has been about the rebuilding of the walls and the reestablishing of the, the defense system. And now it's built. What are they going to do next? The unthinkable dream has become a reality. Days of blood and sweat and trial and threat is over and the wall has been rebuilt. All the sleeplessness, all the sacrifice has finally paid And I don't know about you, but I'm curious to know, what did they do? How did they celebrate this magnificent feat? And that's what we want to spend some time looking at this morning. Um, When Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls won his first um, NBA championship, for those of you who know what that is, basketball, uh, the dribbling one, um, Michael Jordan said, all I want to do is go to Disneyland. So I'm curious to know, I think, I don't even know if he went to Disneyland or didn't go to Disneyland, but he wanted to throw a mega party, and the only one he could think of was to to go to, um, to Disneyland. But what did these guys want to do? What did they do when the rebuild project was over? True story. This boring bunch of prudes went to church. They went to church. And you don't even understand what I mean when I say that. So let me explain it to you a little bit. They went and had themselves a good old-fashioned worship service that seems to have lasted a few weeks. Not a party, not a championship parade, but a month-long worship service. Day in and day out. They worshipped. And here's what they did. Uh, Three things. They they would engage the word of God. Day after day after day. Then they would confess their sins against God. Day after day after day. And then they would get their praise on. 
they would praise God for who he is and what he had done day after day after day. And so this morning, uh, as we wrap this series, we want to peer in on their worship loser because I think there's some things that the Lord would have us carry away. Um, and in a little bit, the band's going to come back out and we're going to have a chance um, to respond ourselves in worship. If you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. If you don't, we're going to have the, the verses up here on the screens for you to be able to follow along. But this morning, we're going to be looking at a section of scripture in Nehemiah uh, chapter Nine. And, and this is at the tail end of their mega worship month, their mega worship fest. But I want us to see some of what they did after the wall was finished and they had this major worship experience. Uh, we want to look in on some of what happened with them. So Nehemiah, starting at verse 1, and uh, we're going to read uh, to the first part of verse But here's what it says, an exciting bunch of people. On the 24th day of the same month, uh, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their place and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Verse 3. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. Okay, pray for me. Verse 4. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Bunny, not to be mistaken for Bani, uh, Sherebiah, the other Bani, and Kenani. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, the same group of people, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, uh, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Petathiah, that's a solid name, said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. For a month after the wall was built, this is all they seemed to have done. This is how they celebrated the completion of the wall. A massive worship service day after day. They engaged God's word for six hours. And then they responded to the word of God for six hours. And they responded to the word of God that they engaged in two ways. Number one, they confessed their sins. And number two, they praised their God. I'm thinking Nehemiah was a professional wine taster. He was a connoisseur. He couldn't have hooked them up with a solid batch to party after the completion of the wall. No, they wanted to worship their God. Now, happening, you know, to be the curious person that I am, I want to know why. Why worship? 
Because I know me and I know the people that I run around with. And none of us would say, oh my goodness, massive rebuilding project complete. Let's worship. So why worship? If you were somehow able to sneak Nehemiah out of one of these worship services and you were to ask him the question, why worship? Why this worship fest? Why not a party? My suspicion is Nehemiah would have looked at you puzzled by your question. What do you mean, why worship? My suspicion is if you had pressed Nehemiah further and further to answer the question, his answer might just change the way you've been reading this book the whole time. Because what Nehemiah would tell us is that the walls were always about worship. The walls were always about worship. Nehemiah would tell you the why of the wall was always worship. It was always about people connecting or reconnecting to their God. What else would we do but worship? The question would have puzzled Nehemiah. Now, for those of you who know uh, a little bit of biblical history, then you know uh, that Jerusalem was synonymous with worship. The city of Jerusalem was the center of worship on earth because the city of Jerusalem was the place in which the temple of God lived. The temple in Jerusalem was the designated place where God's people would come and do what? Worship their God. How? They would hear his word read and taught to them. And then they would offer sacrifices for their sins. And they would collectively praise their God at this place called The temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem was also the building that housed a room called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a divine piece of real estate where God would come down and his presence would most powerfully rest with his people. At the temple, the city of Jerusalem was synonymous with worship, which means When the walls were destroyed, it didn't just signify a broken defense system. It signified a broken worship system. The designated place where God met with his people and his people met with their God was destroyed. And corporate worship stopped. At least for a season. This group of people, many of them had no biblical revelation. There was a famine of the word of God. It's believed that a large chunk of these people had never heard the word of God read or taught to them. They had no idea what God felt, thought, or said about them because Jerusalem was destroyed. There was no sense of personal absolution. 
There was a famine of forgiveness. There were people in that city at that time who had never experienced the joy of their sins being forgiven because sacrifices were no longer being offered. Now, granted, they had started to trickle back in under the leadership of a man named um, Ezra. But for the most part, these people hadn't experienced that joy. There was no public declaration. There had been a famine of praise. Most of these people had never raised their voices to give God praise in the assembly of his people. Because Jerusalem had been destroyed. And even for those who might have wanted to or thought to, it was a scary thing to come into Jerusalem because the city was exposed. The broken walls meant a broken worship, a broken bridge between God and his people. The way for them to engage and interact was destroyed. Nehemiah hated the broken walls of Jerusalem because they left his people exposed and vulnerable to attack or abduction. But if you pressed Nehemiah, he would tell you that what broke his heart most about the broken walls was the way it limited his people's ability to encounter and enjoy their God. Come on, I mean, Warsaw, you guys get to worship God every single week in a corporate sense if you think it's important enough to put on your calendar. My people, many of them had never heard the words of God. They hadn't felt the joy of forgiveness. They didn't get to shout God's praise with others. So, of course, when the walls are rebuilt, there's a worship extravaganza to be had by the people. Because the walls were always about worship. It was always primarily about rebuilding the place for people to connect or reconnect with their God. And that's exactly what they did. And can I just say, we, we want to be like Nehemiah as a church. We want our hearts to break over the broken walls in our city, in our county, the ways people are defenseless and vulnerable, the ways people are struggling to put food on the table, the ways marriages are taking a toll, uh, the ways there's divide among us. We want to be a church that works to rebuild what's broken in the world around us and to see people's lives fuller, to see people's lives freer. But more than that, we want to realize that like Nehemiah, our work is ultimately about worship. Our work is hopefully creating an opportunity and a place where people disconnected can reconnect with God in the gospel. Now, if it doesn't create those opportunities, we're going to love our city anyway. But our hope is that even as we rebuild the physical walls, something much more significant will start to happen. An opportunity for God's people to share God's word and for people to reconnect with 
him because our work is ultimately about worship. But we're going to see that show up more as we continue in this story. So let's look a little more closely at this worship service and see uh, some of the things I don't want us to run the risk of missing. Uh, the worship service had a number of, of key components. Um, the first one, like we said, is, is that God's people engaged God's word. They engaged God's word. Um, and so in this chapter, uh, the, 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 the nation's pastor, uh, a guy named Ezra, along with some of the other leaders, they came out and just read and explained the Bible to the people for about six hours every day. Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 3 again. Uh, the first part of verse 3 says, They stood there um, where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And this is not the first time they've done it. This been, they, they, they've been doing this over and over again. Um, we'll put up on the screens Nehemiah 8 verse 8. Look at what it says a chapter before this. It says they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And as the scriptures are being opened up and taught to uh, the people, they are drinking it in. They couldn't get enough. I mean, can you imagine hearing God's words for the very first time and getting them? That's what's happening to them. Many of these people hadn't heard it, and so they're drinking it in. Can we do this again tomorrow? Because this is really good. As it's being explained to them. Oh, they leaned in, and you better believe they treated the Bible like it really was God talking to them. And the Word of God is powerful for us, and it was powerful for them. Because as they hear the Word of God, it begins to wreck their worlds. Because many of them realize, for the first time, I've not been living what God wants of me. I have broken God's law. And so when you read, you know, what happens right after uh, Nehemiah, and we'll see this a little bit later, after the wall is built, you're going to see grief upon grief upon grief. Because many are realizing, I've broken God's law, and sin has broken in, and it has attacked my heart and abducted the full life that God wants for me. This is amazing. What starts to happen is as they hear the word of God, they realize maybe for the very first time, that what God was most concerned about was never the walls that are broken around us. It was the walls that were broken within us. They realized God's greatest concern was never what was broken around us. It was what was broken between us. 
It wasn't the enemy nations that threatened to come in and carry us off to slavery. It was the enemy of sin that we allowed to come in and carry us away from God. His primary concern wasn't the broken wall around the city. It was the broken wall around the heart and between God and his people. Because the walls were always about worship. And what the word of God revealed as they heard it in this worship extravaganza was the ways in which sin had broken what was once a people connecting to their God. And God wanted to rebuild the bridge of worship to reconnect with his people. And by the way, that's true for us this morning, church. Um, there, there are 50,000 people in our county who are disconnected from God. Worship is broken. There are many in our county who have never heard the word of God and gotten it. There are many who have no idea what God thinks or feels or says about them. They have no idea that they've broken his law and that it's broken them and that the relationship between them and God is broken. They have no idea that the, the worship they were created for is not being experienced. Because the center of worship, which is no longer a city, it's no longer a temple built by men. But that place is broken. And there are thousands in our city and county who are living that reality. And that should break our hearts. And yes, we want to be a working church that builds broken walls around our neighbors. But most of all, we want to see God rebuild what's broken between them as they hear his word. But I believe what God wants us to hear this morning is you first. You first. Are you, church, engaging my word? Are you allowing it to show you the places where your heart is exposed and vulnerable? You first. Are you letting it reveal the places where you are letting sin come in and carry you away? From the place of worship. From the place where you most meaningfully connect with your God. I think God wants to tell us. I want to revive this county. But you first. Is my word showing you the breaches where you have neglected or ignored my word. And I'm not going to sit up here and, and make a list of all the ways that we may be letting sin disconnect us from God. I'm just going to ask the question, are we letting God's word show us those breached and broken places in 
us? Are we engaging God's word daily as if it has the power to protect our worship and enjoyment of God and keep the enemy out? Or do we read it whenever we feel like it, every now and then? Do we listen to it whenever we want to, periodically? Because listen, we can serve with the best of them, and we can rebuild broken things in our schools and in our cities and even in our homes. But if the walls of our hearts and lives are breaking for a famine of God's word, we've missed the whole point. We just become a bunch of broken rebuilders who are not enjoying the very words that have the power to awaken our county. And I think God is saying, before you go and hand out my word powerfully, I want you to engage it and let it engage you. And maybe you need, you know, to start really simply, not six hours every day, uh, but maybe six minutes or maybe six verses and maybe six verses or six minutes for 30 days. I loved that. They did six hours for almost a month. And I wonder what might happen in us. I wonder what his word might reveal in us. I wonder what his word might rebuild around our lives. If we just said six minutes or six verses every day for 30 days and we'll see what happens. They engaged God's word. And as they did that, it revealed the places in them that God wanted to rebuild. It always does. It always will. And so they responded to the word of God. Which we always must do. I fear we hear it so often, we interact with it, and we're around it so often that we've lost the sense of the truth that God's word must be responded to. And that's what they do in this worship experience. And the first way they do that is by confessing their sin. They confessed their sin. Um, when they realized that their sin had broken their connection with their God, they wept and they confessed. And this is beautiful. When they realized that they had not been engaging and living out God's word like they ought to, they didn't make excuses. They didn't try and explain it away. They didn't blame their enemy nations who broke the walls around us. They didn't justify it. They didn't defend it. They confessed the ways they had broken God's law and let sin come in. Look at the second part of verse 3 in chapter 9. It says again, the verse says, They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of a day. And then they responded. They spent another quarter in confession, and in worshiping their God. They spent another quarter in confession. So they respond to God's word by telling him, I have sinned and I am sorry. 
I have sinned and I am sorry. And here's what they understood as Ezra and the other um, teachers explained it to them. They understood the only reconnecting point with God is confession. You cannot reconnect with God if you're disconnected from him any other way but confession. And so their immediate response is to confess their sins. You cannot re-engage God unless you address the sin that's standing between you and admit that you did it. It's not anybody else's fault. It's not the surrounding nations. It's you. You can't ignore the sin that the word of God reveals and hope God will somehow forget. You can't make excuses and and hope maybe he'll look away. We can't work to help others in our world and think that God is somehow going to get distracted by that. You cannot clean yourself up in light of the mess that you have. Made The only way we re-engage God when his word reveals our sin is to confess. I have sinned, God, and I am sorry. I have fed my lust, and I am sorry. I have spoken ill of those people, and I am sorry. I've not served my wife as I should, and I am Sorry, I've withheld generosity. I've held on to bitterness and I am sorry. Because the walls were always about worship. And as they heard the word of God, they realized that what God was most concerned about was the way their sin was breaking their ability to enjoy him. And there's only one way to rebuild that. Confess. And confession is such a powerful thing because it invites God to rebuild the walls we cannot I mean, we can have a blast in this rebuildable series and all the things we can do. But when we sin against God, we cannot rebuild that. We can only own and confess it. Confession says, I can't fix this mess that I've made or maybe made again. And there are 50,000 people, most of whom in our county are still carrying their sin. And we want to see God forgive them. We want to see a mass awakening as they confess and own their sin in response to the word of God as we hold it out. That's revival. A movement of people admitting they need a savior to fix what they cannot fix. That they need a Nehemiah from heaven to come down and rebuild what no man has the ability to rebuild. What's broken between us and God. There are thousands who need to be awakened and revived. But I believe God is saying You first.
Because God is waiting for some of us in the church to simply say, I messed up and I'm sorry. I spoke ill and I'm sorry. No, you don't understand. They that... Nope. It was... No. She didn't... Dis- I know. But he's waiting for some of us to say, I messed up. And I'm sorry. I messed up again. And I'm sorry. He's waiting for some of us to stop trying to fix it. And stop trying to outserve our way out of sin. There's nothing we can do to rebuild that. Only confession. And I think God is inviting us to that place. Some of us are still trying to fix ourselves. Some of us have messed up so often, we've just stopped confessing. Like confession doesn't take anymore, it doesn't work anymore. I used all my confession cards. God is calling his church, own your sin. I want to revive this county, but you first. This city will be changed, not by a bunch of perfect people, but by a bunch of forgiven ones. So you first. What is his word showing you that you need to confess? What is his word showing you that needs rebuilt in you, that you can't rebuild yourself? There's nothing in us so broken that God won't rebuild it. But one of God's favorite ways to rebuild what's broken is through us. And in this case, our role is to confess that we cannot. Fix it. Where do you need to reconnect with God? He's waiting. And I love this verse, um, 1 John 1, 9, that says, if we confess our sins. And can I just say this? If can be replaced with every single time. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all. All unrighteousness. He will reconnect whatever has been disconnected because it's ultimately about worship. There's nothing you have done that he's not willing to forgive. There are only things we're not willing to confess. And he loves to forgive the most unforgivable of sins. And imagine what will happen in our city if the church is revived. Imagine what will happen in our city if we believe our God is a forgiving God. If we experience the joy of his forgiveness. Imagine we will be the absolute number one salespeople of forgiveness to sinful people. Because we are constantly experiencing his forgiveness. And he promises every time you confess I will forgive. But the third thing they do in their worship fest is they offer God praise. They offer God praise. And how is that not the most logical thing in the world? Uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this. We'll have this on the screens. It says, therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
in view of God's forgiveness, to offer yourselves, your bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is your true and proper praise. And another way um, of capturing the Greek language here for true and proper is this is the most logical response. If God has forgiven you, if God has rebuilt in you what you could not rebuild, If God has restored what's broken between you, it only makes sense that you would want to praise him. It only makes sense that you would want to say thank you with everything you can muster. And Paul says, just give him your life. It only stands to reason that you would thank him and you would thank him really good. And that's exactly what the people do. Look again at verse 3. It says they stood where they were. And they read from the book of the law. Of the Lord their God. For a quarter of the day. And when they got a sense of what the law of the Lord said. They spent the next quarter um, in confession. Probably three of those hours. And then in worshiping their Lord. Verse 4. Standing on the stairs. The Levites. And you know all the names. I'm not going to say those again. Um, And then look at the end of verse 5. These guys, these leaders, these worship leaders said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. If he's forgiven you of your sin, stand up and praise your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. I'll tell you what, sometimes I stand in church, and I wonder, have any of us in the house been forgiven of anything? Because if our praise is our saying thank you to God for his forgiveness, for his restoration, then we couldn't possibly have been forgiven of very much because we're still too cute and too self-conscious about it. And these guys will say, stand up and praise. If he's been good to you, if he has restored him, stand up and praise your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And in a moment, by the way, the worship team is going to come back out and, and we'll have a moment to stand up and praise our God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Because it only makes sense. If you've been forgiven. That's what this whole thing is about. Sin forgiven. Reconnection established. So God's people can praise him. Declare his greatness loudly and publicly. And newsflash, that's what heaven is going to be about. We might as well get our practice on. And as a church, we want to work to see the lives of the people around us get better. 
But ultimately, our desire is to see those lives hear God's word, respond in confession, and then join us in our epic worship palooza forever and ever. And why not start now? Our work is ultimately about the worship of Jesus. What God loves to rebuild most is what keeps his people from enjoying and worshiping him. But it starts with us. So listen, uh, band is coming on out. Why don't you guys come on out? Um, um, and um, they're going to lead us in a few songs. And I would invite you to do what God's people did. Um, you've heard the word of God. And so the question is, how do you need to respond in these next moments? And for some of you, what you need to do is respond because the Lord has revealed, his word has reminded you of the places in you that are broken because you have allowed sin to come in and carry off joy and carry off your peace and carry you away from your God. And for you in the next number of moments, what God wants from you is to reconnect. Simply as you say, I have sinned and I am sorry. And by the way, it's not complicated. That's it. God, I did this thing and I am sorry. No excuses, no disclaimers. I can't fix it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Some of you have been forgiven. And you've just lost a sense of gratitude. It's Thanksgiving weekend. If anyone should be making noise, it should be us. If anyone is caused to be thankful, it should be those of us who've experienced his forgiveness. And for some of us, God just wants you to, to praise his name. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And even if he hadn't forgiven you, he made you. That's reason enough to say thank you. You woke up with breath in your lungs and you're here. That's reason enough to say thank you. I'm not saying there aren't things broken in the world around you. I'm not saying there aren't things that hurt. I'm not saying it's not still difficult. But there is cause enough for you to stand up and praise your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. So Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would come. And do your work in us. Stir us to a place of confession so we can reconnect with you. And thank you that the moment we confess, we are reconnected. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that you would just stir us to loudly, gratefully praise your name. And then, Lord, as you continue to revive us, send us out so that we can be part of those who carry the word to folks who need to know there is a God who forgives and reconnects with sinful people. So receive our praise even now in Jesus' name. Amen.